We continue our series today, Certainty and Faith, in 1 John. If you guys have ever read 1 John, it's not a very long book. It's only a couple chapters, and we have been in it for eight weeks now. And if you have ADHD like I do, you're probably to the point where you're like, hey, let's move on already. Uh, I'm in control of this. I mean, I was the one that came up with the series, and I think that it's all important and valuable. But some of it, frankly, is going to feel a little bit repetitive because, like Jake said earlier during his announcements in the Bible, when things are important, they tend to repeat themselves. And so we see some repeated material today, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to dive into it, and we're going to treat it, or at least I'm going to treat it like we haven't heard it before. So if it sounds like maybe I'm saying some similar things, that's because I am. Today we're looking at another ethical test an ethical test of our faith in God. How can we know that our faith is true? How can we be certain in our faith and in our belief and that we are Christians, right? How can I look myself in the mirror and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm a Christian? That's basically what we're trying to discuss and discover from our series that we've been in over the past eight weeks. Today, as we look at this ethical test, it's similar and the first ethical test of love uh, in some of the things that it says, but it's different in its focus. The first one was uh, specifically focused on how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we love each other as the church? Today, it kind of expands to not just the church, but how do we love everyone in general, okay? And so we're looking at how do we love all people. And I'm excited about today. We're going to dive into it. I think there's some good stuff here. Uh, Again, a little repetitive, but uh, still, I think super important. So first John chapter four, we're going to be in verses seven through 19. If you want to follow along on your phone or in a Bible, it'll also be on the screen as well. But it says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves us has been born of God and knows God. The NIV starts with dear friends, but it's a term of endearment. John is trying to express his love for his readers. And what he wants them to understand is that love is a product of the indwelling of the spirit. To love in a biblical sense, like the Bible tells us to love, is proof that the spirit lives within us. And if the spirit is within you, then you will love others according to how the Bible says you will love others. John expresses that love itself derives, it exists because of God. And then he continues in verse 4 8 to say that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, we have to kind of view this back in context. He's fighting Gnosticism, this belief that knowledge is what saves you, knowledge is what brings you closer to God. But he wants it to be very clear that it's how you follow God's commands. And God's greatest commands were what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not how much you know, but how much you love that is proof of your relationship with God. And again, we see that flip side of the coin, right? To love is to be godly, and to not love is the opposite. It's the opposite. And so what he's saying is, if you love, then... Clearly, uh, you have God, but if your love is in question, then you should also probably question the presence of God in your life, and you should know that others are going to do that to you as well. Am I still microphoned up? I feel like I got quieter in my head. Uh, you have a ring, so I adjusted. I love to ring, Dave. That's okay. I just want to make sure I didn't like disconnect. I'm, I'm doing this a lot this morning. Okay, so his explanation, because... He he goes on to say that we should love because God is love. God is love. This is, in quotations, 
is the most significant two-letter word in the history of our language. Now, in the original Greek, it would have been a five-letter word, esten, from to be, to exist, right? God is love. It expresses not only God's identity, but the fact that loving is identical to God and God is identical to love. So you get to show the world God's love and who God is by how you love one another. One cannot know the fullness of love outside of the parameters of God. Okay, or one cannot know the fullness of God outside the parameters of love. Vice versa, flip, because it's identical. Now, you can know a lot of things. You can know infatuation. You can know longing. You can know lust. But you cannot know love. And anybody who balks at this, who says, wait a minute, I love all sorts of things, doesn't fully understand what love is. Love is not subjective. Love is absolutely 100% not subjective. I'm going to tell you something that is going to shock you. Some of you probably will be a little unhappy with me for saying it, but I'm going to say it anyways. Love languages are a farce. They are a farce. They are actually appreciation languages. Those languages are how you like to be appreciated. I like to be appreciated through gifts. You might like to be appreciated through time or physical touch. I'm not saying that there's not truth behind those lessons, but I'm telling you that they in themselves are not love. We all like to be appreciated differently, but we all want to be loved the same. We all want to be loved the same. Hear me out. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. If you've been, spent any time in a church or at a wedding, you've probably heard these verses. Okay, you probably know these verses by heart, but let's read them. It says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, I can say whatever I want. I can know all these things. I can speak in all these fancy languages. I can have a direct connection to the spirit. But if I don't use it to love others and to love God, I'm annoying. It's basically what's being said. I mean, I don't know if you've ever compared a loved one to a resounding gong or clanging cymbal, but I doubt it probably went too well for you if you have. Verse 2 goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Remember, that's exactly what John's fighting in his day and age right here, right now. Right? This pursuit of knowledge, this love for knowledge, this idea that knowledge is somehow going to bring them into godliness. I can have all knowledge. I can know all mysteries. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love... I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. This right now, this, this, this verse, these first three verses, get rid of that idea that love is somehow connected to an action or an infatuation or a desire for a certain outcome, right? You can know everything. You can say that you love knowledge and pursue knowledge and that you love education and all those things. But if your life is not acting out that love for others, it does you no good. It does you no good. And you, you can give all you possess to the poor. You can turn over everything you have. You can say, look at what I've done. I love people. But maybe it's just a desire for attention. Maybe it's just a desire to... to Shed the spotlight on yourselves, right? It, it's all about our motivations behind our actions. I do all these things that I may boast, but I have love, 
then I gain nothing. And then it goes on to say that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And then the Bible goes on to tell us in John 15, 13 through 14, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So love is also sacrificial and it's sacrificial to the point that you would give up your own life to show love to one another. So all of these pursuits, these things that we long for, these things that we lust after, these things that we are infatuated with, we can turn those things into love if our spirit is in the right place. And what John is trying to get his readers to understand and get us to understand is that if the spirit is indwelling within us, if it lives inside of us, then our actions will be inspired by the love that we have not only for God, but for the world around us. And in that, we have proof that our connection to Christ is very, very real. We all want to be loved in this way. We all want to be loved in this way. Love is one of the most, if not the most powerful forces in the entire world. But understand when it's talking about love, it is talking about biblical, godly love. If the world loved as much as it said that it did, the divorce rate wouldn't be so high. If the, if the world loved as much as it said it did, we wouldn't have so many people without roofs over their head or food in their bellies. There's money out there. There are resources out there. And all the things that we can come up with a solution for, we could find a way to fix those problems, and we haven't. And we haven't. And that's because the world lacks the ability to love like Jesus. If we commit ourselves to Christ, we get to experience this biblical love, this love that is patient and kind, this love that is sacrificial, this love that is not angered easily. It is the exact kind of love that Christ portrayed when he gave his life up on the cross. And John makes it very clear that we get to experience this through Christ in verses 9 and 10 in our chapter in 1 John where he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, everything we innately desire out of love, we can experience through the being of Christ. If you're walking through this world today and you say, I'm not loved. I don't feel like anyone loves me. You're wrong. You're just not looking in the right place. You can look for fulfillment in so many places. You can chase rabbits all over the place trying to get that fulfillment. But where you need to go is Christ. Because in him, we get to experience this perfect, powerful, and wonderful love. John comes at us with a logical argument. He says that 
God loved the world. Therefore, if we are God's, then we too will love the world. That's the argument for how we can be certain of our faith. We love the world like God loves the world. Now, we're not perfect. We won't always do it correctly. We will make mistakes. We will stumble. But at the end of the day, are we chasing God's vision for how we should be treating our neighbor? And if we can say that, then we can have some confidence in our faith. It's 1 John 4, 11 through 12, where he says, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is where John's sitting there and he's yelling, and another thing, right? He's going through this list and he's like, and one more thing. And it's a really powerful, awesome thing. It's one of those things that we get to participate in. We get to experience and participate in other salvation journey, which I'm always humbled by and frankly shocked by because I am a moron, especially in comparison to God. But while the world has not ever seen God, and John's talking about this face-to-face meeting, no one has seen God. They can see him. They will see him. They will know him by how you treat them. So the question becomes, what God are they seeing? I know it's a question I've asked you before. When people look at you, what God are you introducing them to? Is it one that's patient? Is it one that's kind? Is it one that's sacrificial? Or is it one that's selfish? If it's one that's looking out for old number one, is it the God that's judgmental and the God that's hateful and the God that always has to be right? Who do they see when they look at you? No one has ever seen God, but if we love others like he has loved us, then they will see God in us. And that should blow your minds. That should change your day to day. The way you think, the way you behave, how quickly you are with those comebacks that so incredibly quickly pop up into your mind. 1 John 4, 13 through 16. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. He repeats it again. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You see, there is this mutual abiding that takes place. This mutual abiding that takes place when we have a relationship with God, where we fully rest in God and follow his ways and seek to submit to his character. And where God, through his spirit, lives in us and through his being, never leaves our side. And we have this this mutual abiding, this love for one another. 
in our ability to abide in God for the length of our lives indicates a certain staying power. Because there is certainly a staying power from God. You see, God never leaves us, never leaves you. But us staying in him is a direct sign that the spirit is within us. If God has his hand on you, you will not leave. You will not leave. Hear me out. Don't tell me. I'm not saying you can't get frustrated. I'm not saying there's not peaks and valleys. I'm not saying that there may not have been a time where you fell away from church or your relationship with God wasn't as strong as it was another point in your life. But I'm just saying that if you truly have a connection to God, there is a staying power. And that eventually, as you're on the merry-go-round of life, as you get farther away from God, you'll come back to Him. That is proof that He is in you and you are in Him. Then John goes on to say in verse 17 and 18, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is one of those verses in scripture that really packs a punch when you start to unpack it and you start to look at exactly what's being said to you. I'm going to read one more line again, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. What's ruling your relationship with God? What's inspiring you to do right? Is it the love that the Father has for you and the love that you have for the Father? Or is it your fear of punishment? This is one of those major things when you want to talk about your confidence in your faith, your relationship with Christ. Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, yes, I am truly a Christian. This is one of those things that has a major impact on that. Are you a Christian because you don't want to go to hell? You want to avoid the punishment? Not an awful motivation. Or are you a Christian because you have seen it proven true that God loves you and you love him? What is driving your motivation? Because for somebody whose faith is where it should be, it should absolutely be love and not fear. It's not about avoiding punishment. And I'm going to tell you personally, for me, it was a journey. It was a journey. When I first started my faith journey, it was all about avoiding punishment. I believe that there was a God. And if there's a God, then it would make sense that Satan exists too. And if heaven's real, then hell's probably real also. I didn't want hell. 
That's what started my faith journey. Talk about turn or burn. Hey, I'm turning. I'm turning. But my faith didn't really become my own. It didn't really become real. It didn't really become a practice. It didn't really become a relationship until I started to base that relationship and understand God's love. It's love that drives me now. To take it a step further, John's also talking about death, right? Because the wages of sin is death. Punishment for our sin is death. That's why our earthly body must die. I'm going to tell you something that took me a while to get to as well. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not. I'm not necessarily eager to die. Okay, it's not that I'm wishing for my life to be over, but I'm really looking forward to meeting Jesus. I'm really looking forward to heaven. I'm super hoping that that whole new body thing is real. (laughs) I'm not afraid to die. That comes from my confidence in my faith because of my confidence in the love of Jesus. I have confidence in where I'm going. I have confidence in what Christ accomplished for me on the cross and through his resurrection. I know it has been proven to me or and or that his love is real. It is very, very real. And I will tell you this, that his love has driven out my fear. And if there's anything that I'm confident in when it comes to my faith and saying that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am a Christian, it is that. It is absolutely that. His love has driven out my fear. Growing up, I was always so proud of myself. I didn't care what other people thought. I will tell you there's a large part of me who still feels that way. I'm just who I am and some will like me and some won't. I've grown up a little bit uh, since that time in my life where I realized that sometimes others' opinions of you have merit uh, simply because they show you who the world sees. And so sometimes when you're the loud, boisterous, uh, not afraid of what anybody thinks things, uh, you're also a jerk and you're also uh, uh, somebody who drives people away from Jesus. And I never want to be that. But there is a certain part of that character trait that's within me that I don't care what people think when it comes to my faith that has made me who I am today. Because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that God is very real. And so that allows me to be up here on the stage today and put this sermon on the internet and not worry what people have to say in response. And I can do that confidently because I have been loved by God. And I don't know about you, but that love inspires me to love God and to love others. And as 1 John 4.19 tells us, we love, we love because he first loved us. Before you even knew who God was, 
before you even heard his name, before somebody ever told you about Jesus, God loved you. God loved you. And I think that as Christians, we have to have that same attitude towards the world. Because a lot of times we don't. We don't. And we absolutely have to. At the end of the day, people will know you by the fruit that you bear. And you will know that the Spirit is living inside of you, that Christ has called you His own, that you have entered into the sonship, the childhood of God, by how you love others. And you can absolutely be confident in who you are in Christ when you see this fruit born in your life. So the one thing I'll tell you that we have to do with all this is that you need to be honest with yourself because it doesn't matter what I think and it doesn't necessarily matter what anyone else thinks. But at the end of the day, it's God who's going to be able to say, hey, you looked like you were loving all those people but it was really just for you or well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. And the only person who can answer that question for you is you. You will have others in your life who question your motives, who tell you that it's not real for you, who tell you that you're just doing it for attention or because of whatever other reason. But at the end of the day, you know who you are, and you know why you are doing what you are doing. And as long as you can answer that question, that's what's important. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time spent in your word. Lord, your, your message is always powerful. It's always one that can alter and change lives. And today, God, I know that there are out, people out there, myself included, that needed this message, that need this reminder. God, and I know that at times, uh, Scripture kind of feels like it's just beating the same old drum, that it's just telling us the same thing over and over again. But at the end of the day, the reason it's doing that is because it truly is the most important thing. The most important thing is to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is what our faith is born out of. It's that type of love that exists, that allows us to, to exist in the fashion that we do, to have this type of relationship with Christ and with the Spirit and with you. And you loved us before we even knew what love was. And sometimes, God, we still screw this thing up. We still don't love in the way that we should. And we're not perfect. And yet, your love covers that multitude of sins. Your love perfects us when we are far from perfection. And there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve it. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn it. But... You love us anyways. So as we look out into this world today, God, and we see all the different things that upset us and make us angry and frustrate us, God, I pray that we would set aside any difference we have with anyone else so that we could love first. 
because that is what you would do. The question has been answered. What would Jesus do? He would absolutely love first. He would love biblically. And he would love in a way that's true to God. And he absolutely would sacrifice everything he could to show others around him that they are loved. So we're chasing after his heart. And we're chasing after your will. God, shape us, change us, make us more like you. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand right now and let's worship. If you need to come pray with me, I'll be right back here over to uh, your left. Um, I would love to pray with you regardless of what you need to pray for. If you need to talk to me about salvation, about what a real relationship with Christ looks like, now's the time. It's never too soon and it's never too late. That much I know to be true. Otherwise, reflect. Use this time as a time to, for reflection. Where are the areas that you need improvement? Where are the areas that God has won a victory? Praise Him for those things today.